Section 12 of the Central Period of the Middle Age, 918 to 1273, by Beatrice A. Lees. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. France under Louis the Sixth and Louis the Seventh, 1108 to 1180. Louis the Sixth, the eldest son of Philip I by his first wife Bertha of Holland was crowned king of france at orleans on august third eleven o eight five days after the death of his father this most unseemly haste was justified by the critical situation of the young king whose stepmother bertrade de montfort was always ready to intrigue against him in favour of her own sons while the restless and discontented feudatories hoped to find their opportunity in a disputed succession at no period in the history of france were the nobles more nearly independent of the crown than at the opening of the twelfth century the king though he had the advantage of a central position was in actual wealth and in the extent of the territory under his rule inferior to many of his subjects the greater feudatories were really sovereign princes firmly rooted in the soil with hereditary succession and the royal rights of declaring peace and war coining money taxing and judging their tenants they sought to govern as well as reign to found dynasties to extend and consolidate their territory to unify and centralize their authority to do for each province what the king of france was attempting to do for the nation hence the struggle between monarchy and aristocracy in general resolved itself in twelfth-century france into a series of particular struggles between the king and each of his vassals in turn as was to be expected the most deadly of all these contests was waged with the most formidable of the tenants-in-chief of the crown the duke of normandy who was also king of england and was soon to become count of anjou and duke of aquitaine the great french fiefs of the eleventh and twelfth centuries fell into two main groups northern and southern in the north the royal demesne the ile de france and the immediately surrounding districts were shut in and almost crushed out of existence by its powerful neighbours flanders blois champagne and above all normandy capetian dynasties ruled in vermandois and burgundy and the bishops of beauvais laon noyon chalon and langres with the archbishop of reims were the immediate vassals of the king but his dominions sank into insignificance when compared with the wide and fertile territory of the norman dukes the lower seine valley the city of rouen the towns of evreux lisieux caen bayeux coutances and the port of dieppe the scandinavian settlers in normandy the french danelaw had prospered exceedingly under the strong rule of their pirate dukes the viking rollo and his descendants after the treacherous murder by the flemings of rollo's son william longsword louis d'outremer profited by the weakness of the little duke his boy successor richard the fearless to enter rouen and assert his rights of sovereignty over the duchy the normans called harold bluetooth the danish king to their aid louis was defeated taken prisoner and delivered to his enemy hugh the great who kept him in captivity for a year 
Norman chroniclers and poets have worked up a pretty story of the crafty king beguiling the fatherless Richard to his court at Laon under the pretext of educating him with his own sons while he secretly plots to deprive him of his heritage. The little duke is saved by his faithful squire, Osmond de Sontville, who carries him out of the palace hidden in a truss of hay then the danes come to the rescue and the treacherous french are crushed in a great battle the true history of the early dukes of normandy is mingled with legend and romance but it is certain that they preserved the memory of their northern origin and maintained friendly relations with their scandinavian kinsmen though with the quick receptiveness of their race they assimilated french culture and became civilized and gallicized it is also certain that while rollo and william longsword supported the carolingian dynasty richard the fearless threw in his lot with the capetians and married the daughter of hugh the great the alliance lasted till the middle of the eleventh century but the conquest of england made the norman dukes at once the rivals and the permanent enemies of the kings of france immediately to the south of normandy lay the celtic province of brittany the french wales in the treaty of st clair sur epte charles the simple had given rollo indefinite rights over brittany rights which the normans proceeded to interpret by making themselves masters of the country some twenty-five years later in nine fifty eight the bretons shook off the norman yoke and their leader alan of the twisted beard Alabarbe became duke of brittany north of normandy stretched the county of flanders in eleven o eight under its crusading count robert of jerusalem a faithful ally of the french monarchy the counts of blois and champagne on the contrary who ruled to the south and east of the royal demesne were steadily hostile to the capetian house while the demon race of the counts of anjou were the constant rivals of blois and the norman dukes with whom they disputed the possession of the county of men south of the loire the old kingdom of aquitaine had broken up into a number of independent lordships in the tenth century the title of duke of aquitaine gave practically no real authority over the southern provinces like the title of king of france it only won respect when borne by a wealthy and able landed proprietor the two great rival powers in the south were the counts of poitou and the counts of toulouse and sometimes one bore the ducal title and sometimes the other at last in nine fifty one louis d'outremer gave the title to william towhead tete des count of poitou in spite of the claims to the lordship of the south advanced by the capetian kings he founded the great ducal house of aquitaine in whose dominions were included the counties of auvergne poitou and limousin he was the first of that famous line of williams the tenth of whom left as sole heiress eleanor who married successively louis the seventh of france and henry the second king of england languedoc was similarly broken into small lordships but the counts of toulouse were the great lords of the extreme south while the dukes of gascony ruled over the country south of the gironde and the counts of barcelona watched the spanish frontier 
provence with the rhone valley had been severed from the french kingdom in the ninth century and formed part of the kingdom of burgundy which in ten thirty four was united to the empire these southern provinces were even more independent of the king of france than the north the counts of toulouse did not do homage to the capetian kings till the twelfth century the duke of aquitaine refused to recognize louis the sixth on his accession the early Capetians often styled themselves kings of the Franks and the Aquitanians, as if they ruled over two separate nations, and in truth the Aquitanians were completely different from the men of the north in their speech, the Languedoc, which was quite distinct from the northern Languedoc in their manners and in their interests. The tall, stout, pale-faced, dim-eyed man, whom his contemporaries called Louis the Fat, Le Gros, Grossu, or Louis the Wide Awake, L'Eveille, known Dormion, is well known to us from the biography written by his faithful friend and minister, Suger, abbot of Saint-Denis. Ready of speech, sweet of temper, and in spite of his unwieldy bulk, of an extraordinary activity of body, Louis was worthy of the affectionate respect in which his people held him. His touch was said to heal the sick, and in the thirteenth century he was still remembered as the justicier le justicier when he mounted the throne in eleven o eight he was already trained and disciplined by the experience of life a childhood overshadowed by his stepmother's dislike had been succeeded by a youth of hardship and dangers entrusted from his sixteenth year with the defence of the vexon the norman march or frontier he had early won fame as a soldier an incomparable athlete and eminent gladiator as suger calls him in his struggle with the hostile party at court he had learnt patience and caution the peculiar pallor of his complexion was attributed to poison given him by his stepmother who did not scruple to plot against his life in the interest of her own sons for eight years before his actual accession he had been the real king of france but a king hampered on every side by restrictions his father's death gave him undivided authority and left him free to meet his difficulties in his own way with the coronation of louis the sixth the french monarchy entered definitely upon a new phase of development henceforward the kings of france were to pursue an aggressive policy to advance steadily and boldly until by conscious and deliberate effort they had built up the strong fabric of royal absolutism which was not shattered until the great revolution of the eighteenth century in his relations with the feudatories louis the sixth followed a double policy he directly repressed the military power of his rebellious vassals and he weakened their influence in the government of the kingdom by employing his own officials in the work of administration at first indeed he relied to a dangerous extent on his ministers and courtiers especially on three brothers of the house of garlande of whom one a clerk etienne de garlande became both chancellor and seneschal and for nearly twenty years was rather the master than the servant of the king the influence of the queen adelaide de maurienne and of the holy saint bernard at length overthrew the power of the favourite and louis the sixth found more trustworthy instruments of government in his cousin raoul de vermondois to whom he confided the chief military responsibility in the kingdom 
and in Suget, the wise and prudent abbot of Saint-Denis. The direct reduction of the threatening power of the feudal lords began with the suppression of the petty tyrants of the royal demesne. Chief among these were Hugh de Puisset, the type of the robber baron, and Thomas de Marl, a wild beast among men, a monster of savage cruelty. Hugh de Puisset ended his days in the Holy Land. Thomas de Marl died, the wounded captive of the king, refusing to the last to free the merchants languishing in his dungeons. The helpless victims of such men as these might well look to their soldier king as their protector, but it was only after years of constant fighting and untiring activity that at the close of his life Louis the Sixth succeeded in restoring peace and order in his immediate dominions. Outside the royal demesne, the great feudatories ruled like sovereign princes and treated with the king of France on terms of equality. The Battle of Tanchebray in 1106 had consigned Robert Curthose, the eldest son of William the Conqueror, to a lifelong imprisonment, and had united England and Normandy under his brother Henry I, a hero illustrious alike in peace and war. In alliance with his nephew, Theobald the Fourth, Count of Blois, he waged almost constant war with France for twenty-five years, from eleven o nine to eleven thirty-five. Louis the Sixth fostered the opposition of the Norman vassals to Henry's rule and supported the claims of William Clito, son of Robert Curthose, to the Norman duchy. Henry and Theobald retaliated by encouraging the rebellious feudatories of the Ile de France to revolt against their king. The English victory at Bremule in 1119, and the death of Baldwin VII of Flanders, the ally of Louis VI, were neutralized in 1120 by the heavy blow which fell on Henry I when his only son, William the Eathling, was drowned in the wreck of the white ship in which he was crossing to England. The hopes of the partisans of William Clito revived, and his cause was warmly taken up by the King of France and the Count of Anjou. But Henry I diverted the troops of Louis VI from Normandy by inducing his son-in-law, the Emperor Henry V, to invade France from the east. The French levies covered the earth like clouds of grasshoppers, says Suger, and the Germans retreated before them, while Henry I crushed the Norman rebellion without fear of French interference. In 1127, the assassination of Charles the Good, Count of Flanders, the successor of Baldwin VII, enabled Louis VI to make a final effort on behalf of William Clito by investing him with the vacant fief but Clito died in the following year from the effects of a wound, and in 1129 the reconciliation of Anjou to England was sealed by the marriage of the widowed Empress Matilda, the daughter and heiress of Henry I, to Geoffrey the Fair, son of the Angevin Count Folk V. The future looked dark for France, when the death of Henry I in 1135 plunged england into civil war and gave louis the sixth a breathing space two years later in eleven thirty seven an unexpected turn of fortune doubled the royal demesne and opened a dazzling prospect to the french monarchy william x duke of aquitaine died on pilgrimage 
and in accordance with his last wishes his daughter eleanor who inherited his vast possessions was betrothed to louis the eldest surviving son of the king of france in july eleven thirty seven the young prince set out for the south with a splendid retinue to conclude the marriage which was to have such far-reaching consequences less than a month after his departure on august first eleven thirty seven louis le gros ended his strenuous and restless life at paris to the end he was a fighter and his eager spirit chafed against the infirmities of his body had i but had knowledge when i was young and had i but strength now that i am old he would say with a sigh i should have subdued empires louis the sixth died clothed in a monastic habit and surrounded by bishops and abbots the church which thus consoled him in death had throughout his life been his chief ally in the ceaseless struggle with the forces of feudalism the church supplied him with money and with soldiers the village priests led out their parishioners to fight the robber barons of the royal demesne and a regular crusade was preached against thomas de marl by the papal legate from the church came the ministers and officials on whom louis the sixth relied in the work of government while the direct relations between the king and many of the great prelates gave him a pretext for intervention in distant fiefs if louis le gros gained much from the church he gave much in return lands charters and privileges yet he always maintained a position of supremacy in ecclesiastical matters he would be master both of church and state the church courts were forced to recognize the superiority of the king's court the king gave permission to elect bishops and abbots and by the bold assertion of his rights he even incurred the anger of st bernard and the party of reform with the papacy also louis the sixth relations were friendly the popes since their breach with the empire had gradually drifted into a closer connection with france more than one fugitive pope had taken refuge in louis the sixth dominions and it was largely due to french support that in the schism of eleven thirty innocent the second triumphed over his rival anacletus louis the seventh eleven thirty seven to eleven eighty who was only sixteen when he mounted the throne has suffered from comparison with his great minister suger his great rival henry the second of england and his great son philip augustus a chronicler describes him as fairly intelligent but pious and soft with him as with the english king stephen his defect lay in being mild and soft and good when the qualities which were needed in a king were strength and decision fortunately for france what was lacking in louis was supplied by his faithful advisers suger the abbot of st denis the typical statesman ecclesiastic of the twelfth century a spare sickly little man of mean aspect and lowly birth suger won the confidence of the king by his eloquence and tact his knowledge of men and affairs his administrative and financial ability and his constant vigilance and activity and was the true ruler of the kingdom till his death in eleven fifty one the first years of the young king's reign were occupied with a quarrel with pope innocent the second over the election to the archbishopric of bourges and with a struggle against the old enemy of the royal house theobald the fourth of champagne louis invaded champagne and took vitry but through the intervention of st bernard 
a peace was patched up in 1144. In the capture of Vitry, a church to which hundreds of innocent persons had fled for refuge had been burnt, and this sacrilege seems to have weighed on the king's mind and to have confirmed his resolution to take the cross. In 1146, France and Germany were stirred by St. Bernard's preaching of the Second Crusade. At Whitsuntide, 1147, Louis VII received the banner of Saint-Denis from the Pope's hands at Paris, and in June he and Queen Eleanor started for Palestine by the land route. Of their ill-fated expedition the story will be told elsewhere. In the absence of the king, Suger governed France prudently, in conjunction with the Archbishop of Reims and the Seneschal, Raoul de Vermandois. He suppressed an attempt of the king's brother Robert of Dreux to seize the crown, and Louis VII returned in 1149 to find his dominions prosperous and at peace. Suger, the father of his country, died in 1151. It was perhaps owing to the loss of his guidance that in the following year Louis VII committed the fatal error of divorcing his queen on the plea that their union was within the forbidden degrees of relationship. He had drifted apart from his wife during the crusade, and she had given him no male heir to the throne, but the separation had disastrous consequences, for almost immediately Eleanor married Henry Plantagenet, Duke of Normandy and Count of Anjou, son of Geoffrey of Anjou and of the Empress Matilda, and grandson of Henry I of England. In 1154, Henry succeeded Stephen on the English throne and became, without question, the most powerful prince in Europe. Henceforward, the relations with the Anglo-Angevin power were the chief concern of Louis the Seventh. In 1158, Margaret, his baby daughter, by his second wife, Constance of Castile, was betrothed to the three-year-old son of Henry the Second and Eleanor, and in 1160 the marriage was celebrated and the Norman vexin was handed over to England as the little bride's dowry. Meantime, Henry II was pressing Eleanor's claims to the overlordship in southern France, where only the personal assistance of Louis VII saved his brother-in-law, the Count of Toulouse, from complete defeat, while in the north English influence was used to detach the great feudatories from their allegiance to the French king. But a few years later, the tide of fortune turned in favor of France. The quarrel between Henry II and Becket, Archbishop of Canterbury, enabled Louis VII, already the protector of the fugitive Pope Alexander III, to give shelter to the exiled English prelate and to make his profit out of the difficulties of his rival. In 1165, too, his third wife, Adela of Champagne, daughter of his former enemy, Theobald IV, gave birth to a son, the God-given, Dieu donné, Philip Augustus. Contemporary chroniclers describe the joy which spread throughout France when the news of the birth of the heir to the throne was known. Bells pealed, the churches echoed with songs of thanksgiving, and the streets of Paris blazed with torches and wax lights. The Welsh historian, Gerard de Berry, then a student at Paris, tells how he saw two old women with tapers in their hands running madly along the street, and how, in answer to his questions, they cried out that God had given them a king, a right royal heir, 
through whom shame and misfortune should one day befall the english king war was declared between england and france in eleven sixty seven and continued intermittently till eleven seventy two the negotiations between henry the second and becket dragged slowly on for though louis the seventh consistently supported the archbishop the pope alexander the third afraid of driving the powerful english king into the arms of the imperial party and the anti-pope pursued a cautious and hesitating policy at length in eleven seventy becket was allowed to return to england but the murder of the archbishop which followed at the close of the year put henry the second entirely in the wrong and greatly strengthened the hands of his enemies in eleven seventy three louis the seventh was able to strike another blow at england by supporting henry's rebellious sons in their revolt against their father the faithfulness of henry's english ministers his personal promptitude and energy the incapacity of his opponents alone enabled him to hold his own against the dangerous coalition of the young princes and their mother eleanor the chief feudatories of france and england and the kings of scotland and france as it was the earls of chester and leicester and the king of scots were taken prisoners the rebels were everywhere defeated louis the seventh was forced to abandon the siege of rouen and in eleven seventy four peace was concluded the last six years of the life of louis the seventh were uneventful a definitive peace was made with england in eleven seventy seven by the intervention of the pope in eleven seventy nine the young philip fell dangerously ill and louis made a pilgrimage to becket's tomb at canterbury to pray for his son's restoration to health the prince recovered and the legend soon told how st thomas had appeared and had declared that he had chosen philip to be the avenger of his death and the despoiler of his murderers when on all saints day november first eleven seventy nine philip was crowned and anointed joint king at Reims in the presence of a great assembly of the nobles and ecclesiastics his father the actual king was absent from the ceremony he had been struck down by paralysis and in less than a year in the autumn of eleven eighty he died and philip the second reigned in his stead though louis the seventh cannot lay claim to greatness his reign saw a considerable advance in the power of the french monarchy he intervened in the affairs of southern france married his sister to the count of toulouse and himself took as his second wife a daughter of the king of castile he had relations with auvergne and with burgundy and his alliance with the church gave him both moral prestige and national influence under louis the sixth and louis the seventh may be traced the beginning of that great movement of municipal development which covered france with free self-governing communes and privileged towns the villeneuve of the north the bastide of the southern provinces the towns of southern france like the lombard communes early rose to independence they won charters and rights of self-government from the king granting them such privileges as the election of their own magistrates the collection of their taxes and the control over their own militia of these charters louis the sixth issued not a few and louis the seventh followed his example while the minister suger is said to have been the first to found a villeneuve or bastide a privileged town in which settlers were attracted by the offer of exceptional advantages 
if louis the sixth and his son were not the originators of the communal movement they were patrons of the trading classes and protectors of the weak and oppressed louis the seventh in particular founded many communes and villeneuve and his reign marked the alliance of the king with the people and the church against the overbearing and tyrannical feudal nobles like his great contemporary henry the second of england he relied on the middle class in his struggle with the baronage and raised up new men noviomines often of lowly origin to help in the work of government and to act as a check on the judicial and administrative power of the aristocracy End of section 12